0: Please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It's
1: good to be back. Oh, and now we're
0: out of lockdown. Yep. One AstraZeneca vaccine done. <laughs> it was a bit of an ordeal, but we got there. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so this is the August... 2021 Q&A. We've got some great questions. You've lined up four questions that are, I guess, really, really important to a lot of investors, and one that's kind of news to me, which is this first one. But before we get to that, uh, just remember that anything that we say and any questions that we answer on this episode are strictly limited to general financial advice. So even though we take questions from the audience, which we absolutely love, we can't tell you what's right for your situation because we simply don't know your situation and that's not our business. We don't we're not financial planners. If you want that type of advice, you'll have to see a financial planner. And if we recommend or suggest even any ETFs, just remember to read the product disclosure statements and consider the risks before investing. Okay, okay. There's a side note here, which is an interesting thing and I see this all the time when I'm on Twitter. Explain.
1: Yeah, so I had a listener message me the other day and they'd actually been contacted by someone on Instagram who was a sort of a scam duplicate account of another popular finance person on Instagram. And I'm seeing this happen a lot. It happens on Twitter and Instagram, whereas someone with maybe five, ten thousand 10,000 followers on one of those social media sites, they'll have their whole account duplicated by a scammer that'll then start messaging people out of the blue about crypto or various uh, money making opportunities. So I think it's really important to watch out that you might be really excited to receive a message from someone um, you follow on Instagram, but just make sure it's the real account because it's really easy just to um, copy someone's content. And I, don't want anyone to get scammed that way. So um, most of these people won't message you out of the blue. So if you are getting messages out of the blue about crypto, it's probably not the real account.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm just Googling, uh, searching on Twitter for my own username. I don't think I'm as lucky as some of those investors to have someone copycat me. But there is an Owen Rask from, it looks like, not Australia. Looks like American. So um, if you're following O-A-R-A-S-K, that's not me. Um, yeah, I, I don't, don't think anyone was confused about you. <laughs> one, I, don't th- I don't think he's going to uh, give you crypto advice Yeah, anyway. you're not quite Instagram famous yet. Yeah, but yeah. How about you? Is anyone copying you?
1: No, no. I, but, I'd rather not get to that point. But I'm just, just saying as a warning, um, yeah, just be careful there.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah, and it's a fair point. We do see a lot of them. Some of the people that have been on the Investors podcast, which is um, the other show that we have, um, I've seen fake accounts pop up for them. Mm. Uh, and it's been what's equally concerning. It's one of the people that I interviewed who's very popular online. Uh, he's actually since left left Twitter and someone's taken his kind of photo and started no. impersonating him. Yeah. So, yeah, it can be very concerning and very confusing. So, make sure you basically don't take any advice from Twitter in the first place <laughs> and you just use it or Instagram and you just use it as a place to get information but not actually act on anything and never give your credit card information up, all those sorts of things. Yeah. So, that's a good, good warning, Kate. Um, Okay, first question here. Maybe I'll I'll throw this one to you because it's kind of uh, an interesting one. Um, Someone said that their shares have disappeared.
1: Yeah. So, one of our listeners contacted me as well a few weeks ago um, saying that their shares in one of the companies that they owned in their brokerage account had just completely vanished from, one, their brokerage account and, two, their share registry. And they just had no idea why. Um, So... He wanted me to share this um, with other listeners who might not be aware. Um, So after a few back and forward messages with him, um, I worked out what the stock code was for the company he had. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to the ASX, the Australian Securities Exchange website. So I think it's asx.com.au and I typed in that ticket code and I looked at their recent announcements And sure enough, there was um, a recent announcement saying that the company was clearing out what's called unmarketable uh, parcels. So, because this investor had less than $500 invested, um, from time to time companies, uh, especially smaller companies, want to save costs on share registries um, because they might be paying per person or um, a percentage-based fee. So, they want to like if it's a really, in this case, this company had less than a $20 million market cap. Yep. So it was a pretty small um, speculative company. And th- the thing is, a lot of these companies don't begin that way. So when he initially purchased the shares, he might have had a 1000 or $2,000 in this company and was perfectly mm. easily able to sell that parcel of shares. But because maybe the share price dropped or something happened along the way, suddenly that parcel is less than $500. So what companies are allowed to do... Um, the ASX um, sets out a process or the company can have it in their constitution, um, they're allowed to clear out um, these smaller investors. And it's a, it's an opt-out process. So, they'll usually send you, um, they'll have an announcement through the stock exchange on mm-hmm. their company announcements, um, but they'll also send you an email or a, a letter, depending on if your address and contact details mm-hmm. are up to date, um, which... Is another reason why it's so important to always um, check the share registry to make sure you're you've ticked to receive email communications, so you get it quicker, and your contact details are up to date. Because otherwise, you might have no idea that this is happening. Um, and if you, and then really, you have the option to opt out. So if you have a really small parcel, you might not actually, and you don't see the email or you don't see the letter suddenly this could happen without you being even aware of it which was what happened in this case
0: so this person still owns the shares right they're just not listed on the stock exchange
1: no so what the, the company's still listed but they clear out all of the smaller investors shares so they might um, they'll uh, sell the shares off and then they'll give you cash oh, but, right yes yeah, so works. they'll give you in the notice it'll explain what process they're doing um yeah, uh, in right. how they're going to do it but and it will tell you when you receive the cash. So in this case the company he had it was actually a few weeks later. So the shares did disappear from his brokerage account and share registry because they um they no longer existed and he wasn't going to receive the cash for a few weeks because he didn't opt out. So even though he wanted to retain ownership of those shares, he didn't get to because hmm. he didn't um know this was happening. So I think that's um yeah, it's really important to know especially if you do have a a really small parcel, under five hundred dollars of shares, which in a you, small you, company, yeah, because usually for most brokers you can't sell that, and you might have to transfer it via off-market transfer or some sort of different sale method. Mm-hmm. So um, be aware that this can happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool, that's a really interesting one. Um, I not do- I doubt it affects too many of our listeners, but. Yeah, so if your company is really small and you don't own much of it, just always check the updates. But you should be always checking the updates anyway. Yeah. Um, even if it's just once a week, just looking at what the company's filing. Yeah, and so, I thought
1: it was also another good question to talk about other reasons why your shares might disappear yeah. from your brokerage account because that did get me thinking about that wider topic.
0: Yeah, sure. So what are the, some of the reasons?
1: Yeah, so I guess one of the big things, um, if someone says, help, my shares have disappeared, I would always look at that the company code. And if it's disappeared from the... ASX website it might be because the company has delisted Mm -hmm. um, voluntarily or involuntarily Um, there used to be a website I always checked out called Mm delisted.com.au and so you could search that company there and find out um, is it because they failed to pay their listing fees did it go into liquidation did something happen to it Um, and people post updates on that site Um, there might have been some sort of a a buyout
0: Mm -hmm. like a takeover Yep. yep
1: Um, yeah, I think they were the main things I thought of. Sometimes I, I, a merger.
0: I've seen some companies um, change ticket codes. Yep. So you might, you know, uh, what's a really good example? I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but I did have this happen to me a couple of years ago where a company changed its ticket code. And so I thought I had something. And sometimes in your Comsec account or your self wealth account or whatever account you're using to buy and sell shares, you'll see like one of your companies and has like zero balance or it has like negative 100% mm. return. So maybe don't be scared off about that. It might just be something going on. Um, the other thing that to be mindful of is that, yeah, if a company breaks breaches listing rules for long enough, they'll be delisted. So I saw, I know there was one um, video game company, a really small company that got forcibly delisted. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that ETFs can also delist. And we've seen this a lot in the last, say, 12 to 18 months um, because of COVID and, and also just in the lead up to COVID, we had some ETFs. Uh, delist from UBS. So UBS closed down a lot of their ETFs because they just weren't big enough. And there's a question further on in the chat about um, does the size of an ETF influence its mm. returns? But yeah, in this case, those ETFs just weren't profitable for UBS, so they closed them. Um, they kept some of them as unlisted funds. But yeah, so there's there's reasons why a company or an ETF will disappear. Uh, it's always just important to stay up to date with the news. Check the announcements tab inside yeah. your brokerage accounts.
1: And just keep your registry details up to date. I think that's super important to yep. do. Uh, yep. So you are aware of these things and you're aware of things like share purchase plans and other interesting things.
0: Yeah, that's so that's, you know, computer share, link market service, um, boardroom, heaps of those different yeah. um, share registries that you should be, get a letter from when you buy shares, um, but you can also register online using your HIN. Um, and the information that you receive in, uh, from your brokerage account. Yeah. So, just check that out. Okay. So, this is a really interesting question. And yeah. We,
1: and I think this question you'll quite enjoy, Owen.
0: Yes. Um, so, this one comes from um, Jacob via Facebook. Wonderful. That's come via Facebook. How do you obtain financial information from new companies, e.g. for Endeavor Group um, is a new company on the ASX? Do I need to wait until they have been trading for at least one reporting period or longer? before this information becomes available. Hopefully this makes sense. So just a bit of context, Endeavor Group is the, basically the liquor department of um, Woolworths. So the business um, has been split off because they thought it was more valuable as two separate pieces rather Mm. than um, one whole. So really interesting business. Um, Lachlan on our website went over it. If you go to uh, rasmedia.com.au, he he explains it there. But how do you find information on a new company? Well, Catherine's given a response to Jacob, so that's wonderful. But basically, the way it works is this is what we call um, a demerger. So, where two companies are splitting, or one company splitting into two. And what they tend to do if they're big companies is they keep both of them as separate parts on the ASX. Mm. So, both Woolworths, you can still buy shares in Woolworths, and you can still buy shares in Endeavour Group. Um, if you held Woolworth shares before, you would get some Endeavour Group. Um, it's just splitting up. Now, so this is a little different. But typically, we just spoke about, you know, companies being listed. Mm. What happens is a company when it comes to the ASX, it has to issue a big document and this document is called a prospectus and basically think of you prospecting, you go and you look at it and you find clues about the company Yeah, um, and you dig through it and you find mm. out, you know, everything that it does from the risks to the business model to the management team, this is called a prospectus. In this case, because of Endeavor, it wasn't an IPO, it was a de-merger. So instead of a company coming to the ASX, it was just one splitting. Mm. So this had a de-merger booklet, as Catherine said. And what this does is instead of normally getting six monthly or annual reports on your companies, this kind of lays out what's happened in the past two years Mm. and what they think is going to happen in the future, and they call that pro forma. And prospectuses are like, some of them, we looked at one this week, which was 200, I think it was 280 pages.
1: A bit longer than a product disclosure statement. <laughs> yeah, so they're
0: huge. But the, the, the good thing about prospectuses as opposed to other things that you read in finance is it actually, it tells you everything you want to know. Mm. So typically when a company's been on the stock exchange for t- 10 or 20 years, the issue that you have is that you're kind of catching up. Mm. So you just want to know, what does a company do? Should I buy shares in it? That can be a pretty hard question to answer because um, the business itself doesn't always have information readily available to say from beginning to end, this is what we do and this is what we expect to happen. So a prospectus is a great way to get um, your hands on the information of a new company. I would say, Jacob, um, you know, you would want to read the demerger booklet from Endeavor before you make a decision. You'd want to hear what other investors are saying. Um, I even go back to the prospectus if the company's been on the stock exchange for a very long time. So I'm, I was researching one company this week for Rask Invest and it's been on the ASX for over five years but or about five years and I went back and read the prospectus because it had more information than the annual reports. Mm. So I hope that answers your question, but the prospectus or demerger merger booklet, the companies also issue information via the ASX's website. If you go to upcoming IPOs, you'll find a page there and it explains which companies are coming up. Do they have a prospectus? How can you find it, et cetera? And then there's obviously a lot of news around it as well. So standard rules apply with regard to investing. I hope that answers your question. Um, and I know you got a response from Catherine, which is great. Next question, Kate.
1: Yeah. So another one I thought was up your alley and definitely um, on the topic of exchange traded funds. So Jason from Facebook community as well um, was asking if there's a relationship between funds under management, FUM, in an ETF and stronger returns as a result of that.
0: Yeah. So, this is a great question and kudos for being in the Facebook group. You can find us on Facebook. It's the Rask Australia Facebook group. So, there'll be links in the show notes. Um, We've got quite a few people in there now as a side note, which is great. Yeah. And lots uh, of activity. Lots of questions. Yeah. It's great because we don't have time obviously to answer everyone's questions every week. So, it's just great to see the community helping itself. We've got accountants in there. We've got Um, invest people from investing background people new to investing people Mm. experienced etc so go in there have a chat Um, it's really civil too which is nice so um, the relationship between fum and returns or fum or funds under management let's just start by defining what we mean by funds under management because this is kind of a point of confusion for a lot of new investors Mm. funds under management does not reflect the the performance of an etf It doesn't, so even though you might think that, it doesn't really reflect the performance of it. Why? Because all that the funds under management tells you is how much money has been invested into that ETF. Yeah. So there are different ways to disclose this. If you go to different websites, the FUM, F-U-M, might actually be called market cap because they're effectively the same thing. So in the stock market, when you're investing in shares of companies, you might say BHP Billiton is $100 billion company. And what we're talking about there is the market cap, which is simply the share price multiplied by how many shares there are. And that gives you a value of all the shares. So market cap, that's what they call it. In ETFs, because you don't get shares, you get units. We call it something different. We basically take the unit price, which is what you see in your brokerage account. And we multiply that by the number of units mm. and that gives you FUM. So FUM is just the same as market cap. Um, and so if you think about it this way, you don't invest in a company simply because it's $100 billion or $80 mm. billion. You don't think of it that way. You think of, oh, is it going to grow in the future? Yeah. And so just based picking something based on FUM is not a good idea. Um, but there are some things about it that you should note. So, the first thing is the Vanguard VAS ETF, I believe, is still the biggest ETF in Australia by FUM. And, I mean, it's been around for a while. It's a (laughs) a great ETF, let's be honest. Um, It's got low fees. It's run by Vanguard, who's very reputable. And so, but just because that's the biggest ETF, it doesn't mean that it's a lot better for everyone who wants to invest in a shares ETF. You might choose the A200 ETF, which does something very similar for a similar fee, but it might be slightly different, which is is what you want. So, if you go back, Jason, and you look at, say, let's say you just take the biggest ETFs in Australian shares, which would be, say, um, the the Vanguard VAS ETF, and you compare that to the BetaShares A200 ETF, and you compare that to uh, the STW ETF, which Mm. is the ASX 200 ETF, what you might find is that there's slight discrepancies between all of them. And yet they're very, very, very similar. And Vanguard is massive. The other two are big as well. But Vanguard's ETF is massive. But you'll notice there's no real difference in – major difference in performance. So you couldn't say just because it's the biggest, it's the best. Yeah. But there is one advantage about this. I said earlier on that UBS um, UBS closed their ETFs. Mm. And that's because they didn't get big enough – yeah. to make it profitable for UBS to keep them open effectively. So there is definitely um, an element of survivorship bias. Like the big ETFs tend to survive longer than the small ETFs.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of the ETF providers are sort of throwing things at the wall to see what sticks at the moment. They're opening a lot of different very um, niche ETFs yep. um, and just seeing what ones are popular. And then if they are popular, they'll keep them around. And if not, maybe after five years, they close them down. So you'll, there's yep. so many ETFs in Australia that you'd never come across because they maybe only have 10 or $20 million yep. in farm. And that's just because people aren't interested in buying them. Yeah. even though they're open-ended and you, they can kind of keep going in terms of fun there's not really a cap um yeah people just haven't heard of them or aren't interested yeah just because they're so niche or yeah just so
0: you want to kind of avoid those ones yeah until they've reached a point where you're comfortable that they're going to stay open right yeah and so if you think about it the financial advisors like to see an etf or a fund that's been in existence for at least three years mm. because if it makes it to three years then it's generally accepted that it can continue yeah. to operate and also a rule of thumb that we used to have was making sure that it met hundred million dollars in farm or market cap this is an ETF because at that point um, that's typically a good size for an ETF so it would make you a bit more comfortable or at least it make me more comfortable it's not a guarantee that they won't close it but it would mm. I haven't can't recall many ETFs being over hundred million dollars of farm. being closed. I will just add one final um, geeky point here, just in case Jason was actually looking for a real deep uh, analysis of (laughs) this. So please excuse me for the next 60 seconds if you're not interested in this. But Jason, there is an element of people thinking that because more money is flowing into an ETF, that therefore the shares or whatever it is underneath the ETF that it buys, that it pushes up the prices of those ETFs. So we talked about a year ago about Michael Burry, Who's the famous uh, short seller coming out and saying that ETFs are going to cause a massive market dislocation mm. and this whole stock market's going to implode because of ETFs and all this sort of stuff? Um, <laughs> I tend to very strongly disagree with that. What you might find is that if everyone tries to sell their ETF at the same time, like let's say there was ten billion dollars in Vanguard VAS, I don't know if there is that much, but let's say there is. If everyone tried to sell their units in that ETF, it would push the price of the ETF down because. The people behind the scenes who are trying to sell your shares and ETFs for you would stress out and try and knock the the price down so they could get rid of your units ASAP. The chances of that happening are actually pretty low. Um, but on the flip side, if a lot of people try and buy an ETF, it may actually temporarily increase the price. Mm. Very might be very small, but that's why you got to look at something called the spread, Jason. So, look at the spread um, that's generally published on the ASX every month. We publish it on best ETFs. And typically, the way it works is the larger the ETF, the lower the spread, which is what you want. Yeah, it's a bit bit,
1: more efficient if they're larger and they can spread their costs across the Yeah.
0: So, think of the spread as like you jumping in or jumping out of the ETF. You don't want to jump too far. Mm. Uh, you want it just to be like a little a little step into the ETF because that's actually a cost that you pay every yeah. time you ex- enter or exit. Okay. And even
1: the, the people with larger fund, they often will reduce their fees and we've been seeing that recently. Like once yeah. they're big, they've got scale, they can reduce the fees and become a better option for and you. And that's
0: why a lot of Vanguard funds can lower their fees continually, right? Because yeah. they're so big that they can then pass those savings on Mm -hmm. to more people which is part of Vanguard's ethos okay so I'll throw this one to you Kate so I'll ask the question Alice from face from the Facebook community welcome to the Facebook community Alice great question she says hi Owen and Kate wondering if you could address the pros and cons of choosing a broker with chess sponsored ASX trades compared to brokers that operate with a custodial model like superhero I am new to investing and I am concerned that I've chosen the wrong brokerage platform. Sorry if this has been addressed in previous podcasts. Uh, We have talked around this in the past, but this is actually a very good time to ask this question because we're seeing a lot of these brokers come up and it actually is a really, really important topic as Kate's about to get to. I'll throw it over to her.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Alice. And We've actually had this question from a lot of people over the last few weeks um, coming through via email and Instagram and Facebook. So it's definitely topical. And I think as more of, I think someone was talking to us the other day about the race to zero in terms of brokerage fees in Australia. Mm. And the only way to offer with the current system in Australia, $0 brokerage, if that happens, is usually via custodial model, um, which... With a custodial model, instead of getting an individual holder identification number for your brokerage account, like you would if you had self-wealth or comsec or nabtrade, you get an individual holder identification number, which um, your securities are held on. And you can transfer your securities um, on that HIN to any other broker that uses a a HIN. You can transfer to some others, but it's a little bit more complicated. Um, With a custodial model, um, for example, Superhero, they'll have one big mega HIN uh, and they'll hold all their clients' uh, securities under that HIN. So um, everyone's under the one HIN and then on their end, they'll keep records of who has every individual holding underneath that. So that allows them to let you buy $50 of a CSL share when CSL's a lot more than that Mm. Um, and it allows you to do fractional shares it allows you to buy um, smaller amounts um, and invest with a lot less than $500 which is minimum for a lot of brokers
0: yeah I would say okay maybe Kate give me like what is one big drawback of having the custodial model Uh,
1: I think the, the major issue is you lose a lot of the flexibility you normally have with a hold identification number so you can't as easily participate in dividend reinvestment plans, share purchase plans. You can't, it's a little bit more complicated if you want to transfer your for your holdings from superhero to another broker. Sometimes they won't even allow that. You might just have to sell all your investments if you want to transfer. Um, so I think the main thing for me at the moment, because um, at the moment, every the financial system is quite healthy in Australia. So I think that would be the main drawback is the flexibility. Um, and then- I think the other, the danger, which I don't want to scare people because it's um, it's quite a small risk, but that um, if something does happen to a broker that uses a custodial model, it does take a lot longer to get access to your funds because they, they have to bring in uh, a liquidator and they're going to have to sort through all the records to make sure they know exactly what securities under that mega HIN belong to every individual and then they have to allocate it to everyone and they may be able to find a new custodian or they might just liquidate and transfer you. But sometimes if something uh, a bit cheeky has been happening in the back end, uh, not all of the money that should be there might be there. And so you might only get 90 cents on your dollar back or something mm-hmm. like that, but that's worst case scenario.
0: Yeah, so just so everyone's aware of this, In Australia, there's only one major stock exchange, which is the ASX. Whereas overseas, there are multiple. Mm. And what that means is that the ASX doesn't have to compete with anyone. So in Australia, I can't remember the exact figures and it varies depending on the broker. But they charge the broker every time you buy or sell shares. And so that's why you can't go to zero Mm. brokerage because the brokerage accounts have to pay the ASX regardless. That's if they use the CHESS system. If they don't use the custodial system, I imagine there's some other sort of work around there. That's why they can go to zero or near to zero. So in my opinion, just go with someone that has just sponsorship. Like just it costs you a little bit more. You can leave the superheroes and all that to the day traders and the people that are thinking that they can make money trading stocks, air quotes. Um, For anyone that's an investor that wants this security – just use one that has a chess-sponsored holdings, um, because you never know. There will be a time when you want to transfer your shares out, or you want to do something. Mm. Um, you want to make sure that you have both flexibility and financial security. Yeah. Um, the problem is, like, obviously, if you've got 500 bucks and you pay 10 bucks for a trade, it is a bit annoying because it's a lot of money on 500 bucks. Mm. But um, that's why I've always said, just save up a thousand or two thousand dollars if you can, and then place your trades in that magnitude rather than 500 bucks um yeah so there are plenty of brokers in australia that do it um, with chess sponsorship all of the big ones basically do yeah um it the custodial model just one final thing kate the custodial model is basically what's common overseas right like if if you're an australian investing overseas Yeah. yeah
1: yeah so it's more it's quite a unique thing that australia has this holder identification number yeah um you won't find a holder identification number in a u.s brokerage account i think They might have a different security. Yeah, they've got um, in
0: I know in the US they've got the SPIC, which is basically like insurance Mm. on the system, and the brokers have to have a certain amount of insurance, and then go above and beyond that if they want if they have if they get to a certain size. So yeah, so if you're so we're just talking about ASX shares here because uh, that's what Alice asks about in the Facebook community. But if you're investing in US shares via your broker, just check the terms and conditions there too. Yeah um you know go with an established broker is basically what i'd say
1: and uh, and if you're wanting to find out with your australian broker um, look at the product disclosure statement mm. um the financial services guide look in the fine print if you don't know ask them do you provide a holder identification number to investors or do you use a custodian if they say something along the lines of uh, you're the beneficial owner of your holdings or mm. um they're held on your behalf or something like that um yeah they can use different language so they might say you're the owner of your holdings but you're not the legal owner you're the beneficial owner something they've used different language yeah. so it can be really you want to be both
0: legal and beneficial owner, yeah right? so
1: yeah so you want to you want to ask that if they are a custodian model ask them um who's the custodian because they will use a third party yeah. um with that model to hold it so it might be at one of the big u.s banks or something like that. Um, who's your administrator, so I might be using someone to keep track of all the records of who owns what holdings, Um, what would happen, even ask them the question, what would happen in the event the company goes under? Yeah. Um, Just to find out the process and who's involved there because if something does happen, you want to know who you need to contact to find out what's happened to your funds.
0: If you're going to, I would also just throw on here, that's a really good point, like that's how you do it. The other thing I'd throw on here is if you're going to change brokers and you are on one of these platforms that don't have chess maybe consider doing it soon because if you're going to be investing more money over time you're going to pay capital gains tax if you can't transfer the shares in specie Mm. so meaning if you can't just transfer your shares directly to another broker you may have to sell your shares in order to transfer which would trigger a capital gains tax event and so one of the Charlie Munger's famous rules of investing is compound interest is very powerful don't interrupt it and tax is the easiest way to interrupt you're compounding. If you have to buy and sell constantly, hence why day trading, again, doesn't work, um, you're going to end up in a position where you're losing so much of your wealth through tax. So set it up properly the first time, pick the right broker, uh, make sure, that in my opinion, not every, not everyone would agree with me on this, is make sure they're just sponsored if you're ASX shares. Pick the right ETFs, do all those things the first Mm. time and and you're setting yourself up for success in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and some of the smallest startups don't have the capacity to do in-species transfers from custodian to HINs. So um, just be aware that they might even down the track, you might not be able to transfer that easily if you don't have a HIN right now because um, they are quite complex transfers and do require admin teams. you know all about them. Yeah, <laughs> I've uh, done a few in my time. So um, yeah, just be just be aware there. Um, they might not have the capacity to offer that service.
0: Yep, cool. Um, so just spend a few minutes researching. Kate's done a great write-up on this on the RASC education site. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that. Um, and also just read capping on some of these questions. Um, obtaining financial information on new companies, go to the ASX website, read the prospectus or demerger booklet. You can also jump on Rask Media to learn about Endeavour Group. Um, the relationship between FUM and returns, there isn't necessarily one, although FUM is a good signal that the ETF is very popular mm-hmm. and um, the spread could be quite low. So you can check out the spreads on the, um, the issuer's website or you can head to our website, bestetfs.com.au. Um, My shares have disappeared, fascinating thing. That would be very scary if you woke up and Uh, you realize they weren't there.
1: Yeah, I think the guy thought he had been hacked. And I mean, that might be your first thought if you haven't checked out the announcements. So uh, it's a good good thing to keep your share registry details up to date and keep an eye on the announcements. You can set up notifications on most of the the apps now um, to send you a notification when there's a, a major announcement.
0: Yep, and just in conclusion, uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, we've got a few things here for you. Jump onto iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and leave us a review. Spotify, yep. we love to hear from you, but we equally love reviews. You know, we're very fortunate, aren't we, Kate, that our podcast is actually very popular now. Mm. Listeners seem to enjoy listening to us for whatever reason. <laughs> um, hopefully, you've learned something from us. If you have learned something from us, um, yeah, leave us a review because I actually noticed that they not too... Be envious, but some <laughs> of the other podcasts that are in the podcast, you know, I guess, library beside us have a lot more reviews than us and makes me sad. So please jump on there. Um, leave us a review, just even hit whatever stars, give us an honest review. Um, and the final thing is if you want to join us, um, you want to join one of our membership services, you want to learn, you know, the types of companies that we're investing in, you can join our Rask Invest service and you'll get a hundred bucks off. There's a link in the show notes just enter the coupon code at checkout AFP. Sounds like the Australian Federal Police, but it actually stands for...
1: Australian Finance Podcast. <laughs> no, my dad actually thought it the other day. I said, oh, I've got an AFP recording. And he's like, Australian Federal Police, what? <laughs> Are you joining? <laughs> and you can
0: also use it on our ETF service, which is where we um, identify our, our 12 favorite ETFs and, and roll them into some portfolios that you can follow in your own brokerage account. We've actually just dropped the price of that. Um, it's down to $99 and it's for lifetime access.
1: Yeah. Pretty it's, sweet now. It's pretty
0: sweet. And so, the code will get you 50 bucks off. So, you can see which ETFs we recommend to our members for 49 bucks and you can keep it for life. So Sounds good. Um, pretty cool. Yeah. So, all that's in the show notes. Kate, as always. Thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians.
0: to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.